wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TFC till I die. Hello and welcome back to Toronto Till I Die, the Toronto FC fan show. Happy Canada Day long weekend uh, for those who are listening here in the Great White North. And happy early 4th of July to our American friends who are listening um, for the podcast. Uh, listeners, we are hosting this on July the 3rd. So uh, happy July 4th if you are listening to this on the Tuesday. Um, not a happy Canada Day for your Reds as they drop another heartbreaker in stoppage time to RSL this past weekend. On this week's show, we're going to quickly recap Toronto FC's uh, Canada lost to RSL and sort of rate uh, interim manager Terry Dunfield's debut at BMO Field. We're going to talk about Bill Manning's uh, interesting uh, press conference from earlier in the week. Mike Singh, you were there live, so we'll love to get your takes. And of course, we'll get to your comments from this week's burning question presented by Nextdoor. And we will also name our Federico Bernadeschi shirt winner. Um, we do have a winner, so we're really excited about that. Uh, before we get into the show, we do have a new YouTube channel. Um, so please like the video when it gets posted and subscribe to the new link. It is at youtube.com slash at symbol TTID podcast. Go ahead, um, hit that link. I think we'll throw it into the chat at some point uh, tonight. Um, and hit the bell for notifications uh, to ensure you won't miss uh, any of the future episodes. We will repeat that uh, before the show is out. Um, but lots to dig into. Let's get into it. Mike Singh, Jeffrey P. Nesker, as always. Gents, how you doing? How is your candidate long weekend? <laughs> Mikey? Oh, you want me to go first? Go ahead, I mean, Jeff. Yeah. yeah, no, I just got back from uh, four and a half miles uh, uh I don't even remember what direction it is. It's by the Ottawa Valley. I was in Pembroke. So I'm, I'm sort of unstuck in time right now. My weekend is not over yet, boys. Uh, and certainly uh, I want to preface this by offering my heartfelt congratulations uh, to Eric uh, Giacometti. Uh, this will be the beginning of his last week, uh, if we're to believe the tweet at TFC as the social director. Don't know if it's going to be his last week in Toronto. Certainly indicated such in, in the tweet. He's saying goodbye to the club and the city. Um, thank you, Eric, for, for all that you've done for the club, for us uh, over this last little spell. Thank you for, uh, for, for helping TFC through some difficult times during the pandemic. Um, and I wish you only the best in your future endeavors, my man. Honestly, absolute legend. Absolutely. We might have uh, a special guest joining us next week. So put that feather uh, in a cap. But Mike saying, how was your weekend? Yeah, long, obviously, with everything going on in canadian soccer i mean it wasn't that wasn't a great weekend for maybe even toronto sports in general if you could count the raptors losing shout out fred van vliet um mm. least free agency i know it got a little bit better uh the past couple days but it wasn't looking too great early on and obviously with tfc losing just such a heartbreaker which we'll get into more and and Canadian men's national team is struggling to put the ball in the back of the net against, I mean, inferior opposition. Um, yeah, vibes weren't weren't great, but personally, I mean, it's a long weekend. Canada Day weekend mm. had a fantastic weekend. Uh, aside from obviously 
soccer side of things. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And like, I just got sick over the weekend. So I'm really just getting over um, the air conditioner cold. If uh, for those in Canada, oh. get that a lot as it gets yeah, hot get here mm-hmm. in Ontario. Uh, I tend to get it every year. So I'm just battling through that right now. Um, but yeah, no, not a great weekend for Canadian soccer. Starts off with potential bankruptcy uh, with the Canadian national program, um, which Jason DeVos has walked back um, mm. in subsequent interviews. And then, of course, uh, you know, you you draw against Guadalupe and then you draw again against Guatemala. Um, and now you're having to, you know, beat Cuba by quite a bit uh, to get through to the next round of the Gold Cup. Though it's pretty doable. And of course... We get to our Reds. Uh, let's talk <laughs> about gentlemen. Uh, RSL one, Toronto FC nil. Um, an interesting, just uh, interesting Canada Day game at BMO Field. Um, I was sick, so I could not go. Um, Jeff, I think you were there. Mike, I'm, nope. I think you were there as well. Nope, no, yes, right. You were in Pembroke. Nope. Mike, you were there. Um, look, it started off with potential protests by supporters. At least that's how the plan looked like it was going into that. And then sort of things changed last minute and, and things were good, but you still saw banners um, following the sack as the first home game, following the sacking of Bob Bradley um, and some discontent uh, was definitely on display uh, at BMO field. But Mike, you were there uh, at the stadium. Uh, give us your overall thoughts and sort of vibe on, on the match itself. Yeah, before we do that, I'd love to get some more insight into the protests. What was the protest supposed to be about? What happened from your perspective? What changed? Um, And then what sort of things did you see still from, I guess, a protest perspective? Yeah, look, I I think generally this was going to be a protest about the state of the club um, currently. Um, Definitely a, a protest around management. Um, this goes beyond Bob Bradley. I think Bob Bradley for a lot of people is the first domino. Um, and I'll get to that a little bit later. Um, cause I have some personal views that I think I'm going to just sort of lay out here on the show, but you know, Can't to be wait. brief in that regard, I think there's a lot of discontent, um, amongst the supporter base around just the overall sort of strategic vision of this club going forward. Um, and specifically a lot of that is directed at Bill Manning. Um, let's not, uh, sort of you know, sort of beat around the bush. Uh, Definitely it was directed towards the president of Toronto FC. Uh, There was a banner outside of, uh, in Liberty Village, and then eventually outside Gate 3B, where a lot of the supporters enter the stadium, you know, talking about who's next to fall on the sword. And really just, just sort of the overall vibe before. I mean, things got sorted out. I won't get into the details around that, but... Mm -hmm. You know, I think in the end of the day, this is not the end. Uh, I don't think. I think a lot of people are starting to, I think starting to feel a lot of what we talked about last week in terms of, you know, Bob Bradley being sacked. Like it wasn't just the manager. Of course, the manager is a part of that. Um, And Mm -hmm. obviously he's a sporting director as well. But I think there is a overall feeling that something is not right at Toronto FC. And it's not just this season. Um, that it's been going on for a while and there's a constant through that. Um, and, and, you know, obviously look, fans can't see behind the door. They don't see what happens behind the curtain, but a lot of people feel like there's moth holes in the curtain and they can kind of peek through and see the little mm-hmm. shafts of light. And they don't like what they're seeing. 
Um, so I think that's where the protests really stem from. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's more um, because I, I think it goes beyond just results. And I'll sort of save it for later, but that's generally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, speaking of speaking of peeking through, like the whole inclining of protest to me started with, I mean, who's responsible for that screen cap about the sanctions against Section 114? Because it was shared around. It was like mouse sized. <laughs> I'm getting older. So I just I couldn't read it. People kept sharing that screen cap. And I'm like, I'm I'm sorry that happened. But whatever. I'm not even going to try doing that. Um, it's interesting. You know, I wasn't there for this game. Uh, so naturally, I didn't expect even in the so-called extended highlights you know bandied on my on my ott that i would even get a, like a, any of that sort of thing so i'm pleased we're discussing it because i don't know if anything happened you know what i mean like uh did well, anything I think... end up happening i know it was supposed to be silent and then it wasn't silent and then et yeah etc cetera, et cetera, et cetera. so i think yeah. a lot of the supporter groups didn't put up their banners um although they chanted i i think there was you know in some cases less of a um, a less of a presence from that perspective. That said, a lot of people didn't wear gear um, or mm. neutral colors um, in the stands. Some, obviously, some that got the message did, some that didn't. That was fine. I mean, look, everybody has the right to express their support in their own way. And 100%. I think that's important to keep in mind. But I do think there is a element of, I don't know if toxicity is the right word, but it's it's, there is a bit of that kind of, tangible just just there's a lot of anger right now mm -hmm. in a lot of different directions um for sure it's hard to sort of synthesize it in a very short period of time but i think that you know to answer your question mike and to sort of also answer your question jeff i think there is a a sense right now that you know things could bubble over a bit um mm -hmm. in terms of of support and it and it's extending beyond just supporter groups like obviously i'm talking to supporter groups just because this was a south end action but i mm -hmm. think there's more mm -hmm. you as you talk to people within the fan base that are not affiliated with any supporter group or don't even sit in the south sure. end like i i think it, it's seeping in now it's seeping in beyond that and i think there's some people yeah. who are asking some questions about what's going on at this club mike i don't know if you kind of felt that either through Terry Great Dunfield's um, post-game press conference or throughout the week or even in the stadium mm -hmm. as you were sort of Yeah, just out looking the, out the, the window. Game, but you're, yeah. yeah, you're saying people were wearing less gear. Was it was it discernible from your perch up in the heavens? To be honest, not no. entirely. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, that's fair. Had I not been wary of some of the things that were going to be going on and some of the things mm. that were planned ahead of time and obviously plans changed i probably wouldn't have paid too much attention to it but i did and i did mm. keep an eye and i did notice that you know i think aside from you sector there is no banners along mm. the railings which there typically are um i went down actually before the national anthems just to and even during the national anthems just to get a sense of what the vibe was obviously it's canada day um, yeah of course it's supposed to be a new era at the club. I was curious, right? Just to see from the people's perspective there in the stands, just to see kind of what the energy levels were like. And I have to say, like, before kickoff, it was pretty high, pretty good. Hmm. Um, obviously, players were cheered for, you know, this protest, is, as Mike illustrated, wouldn't have been towards the players themselves, more so against um, upper management. I, I find it really interesting that, that it's gone this direction the protest direction in the first game post bob bradley era 
Um, just because you, you figure that obviously everyone was calling for Bob Bradley's head, you got Bob Bradley's head and you figured, you know, maybe that would buy the club some more mm-hmm. time, um, buy some patience from, from the fan base. But obviously I think I love, I love it because I think the fans have a really good perspective and supporters have a really good perspective. Like no one knows. There's a sophistication. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. No one knows this club more than the South End people and South End fans. Um, and so to see that, I, I think it's it's a really strong message. And I hope that if, you know, some action does decide to be taken by the fan base, I hope it's next time it, it's there's some more unity behind it. And it's clear um, because I think that obviously the, the fans have all the power in the world to kind of make a difference um, and let their message be heard. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see exactly what, what comes of it. Um, yeah. Like I said, the vibe I, I thought pregame was pretty good. Uh, wasn't a sold out Canada today. Surprisingly, actually, obviously a mm. lot of different events going on in the city. Uh, there was the blue Jays game at three o'clock. So I was a little bit surprised on that perspective, but maybe that just, again, speaks volumes to where the club is at. Um, and, and I, I guess from a bigger perspective, from the city perspective, not just from, you know, the diehard soccer fans perspective, because it was a gorgeous day and it, it could have made for a special night mm. at BMO field. So yeah, the vibes were, there was, it was solid. It was fine. Um, but obviously mm. but the, the match ended the way it did some booze at the end too. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't a memorable, memorable day, I guess, put it that way. Yeah. It's funny, it's, I can't, oh, sorry. Go no, Jeff. Go ahead. Well, no, I'm. It's it's a total non sequitur. But you know, we can't. I've I've had, had this written down. Like, you know, speaking of the South End, I just don't know where to jam this in. But but I feel like I can't not say it. You know, uh, uh, Alicia and I were at the Canadian Men's National Team game on the Tuesday. Uh, you know, and and shout out. It was the first time I've seen they've pulled up the whole bench side of BMO to allow for what will I assume be the World Cup renovations, but. Uh, my tickets weren't V tickets. They were, you know, that was a, the initial public offering from TFC. Uh, I bought tickets in one uh, one sixteen where I usually sit. We were further up, but no one was standing. I mean, the, it was the, you know the the crowd mentality. It was a lot more posh. I haven't seen the the South End like that. I don't think ever where the crowd temptation was to sit, and we were the jerks for sort of standing. So it was like a complete a complete flip. Uh, and I don't really know how to contextualize. I don't really have a point beyond just mentioning that, you know, maybe you want to say it speaks to the sort of disassociation going on with soccer in the city as a whole right now. I don't know if I'd be willing to make that argument. It's just a little fun fact that I wanted to throw out in my usual way of derailing conversations on this show. So just pretend it never happened. And <laughs> well, never Canada know. was booed. Mm-hmm. Canada was booed off the pitch there too. When they yeah. Mm-hmm. Play. Were they yeah. And, and yeah. Jeff, just to give you some context there. So before we get it back into the game here, just, the V's, the way it works generally is they the the supporter section actually only extends to about maybe one thirteen, maybe one four. Oh yeah, and and most. you know, yeah. uh, and then after that, like generally, you know, it's been a traditionally that has been a sitting section, even in the south right. end of BMO Field. Now, obviously, the World Cup run changed a lot of that because a lot more people uh, <laughs> right. were coming and 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 sort of understood what the mm. what the sort of role was. But for things like Nations League. Um, for things like the Gold Cup, like it, it's generally going to be that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and also I'm bearing the lead. We all know that, you know, the V's dealing with CONCACAF is one of their least favorite things to do, et cetera, et cetera, ad infinitum. But at the end of the day, 
there's still the dichotomy of sitting there where within earshot, you know, the sign says this is a supporter standing room section and the zeitgeist is completely changed by nature of just how many, you know, the scales tipping from, from, you know, seating people to standing people. It's just fun watching crowd mentality happen like that. And again, I don't have an answer to the point. I just felt that this was a good enough place to sort of jam it in there. Jeffy for style. Sure. So for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> just get, just getting back into the game itself, a back and forth game in a lot of ways. It mm. felt like basketball at times. Um, where it felt like every the both teams for a while were trading opportunities. Um, and definitely a sloppy game. Um, a lot of turnovers, a lot of transition opportunities. Um, you know, you could say that RSL shaded this a little bit. I think if it came away with a draw, I think that would have been fair enough for TFC, especially given sort of the second half performance. Um, interesting sort of notes just watching it and, and listening to commentary. And I listened to this on 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 Apple. Um, not on TSN because I want to get a little bit of a different perspective. Uh, it's actually the guys who normally call the Vancouver Whitecaps games, which was interesting. Hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, the the thing that sort of stood out to me, two things. One, I, I do think that, you know, there was a concerted effort to get the ball to Lorenzo Insigne in the first half to to get him opportunities to get onto the ball. And I thought he still looked a bit lively. That said, um, obviously he pulls up injured before halftime um there are some people who have reached out to me i'm sure there's people who have reached out to you guys who are doubting the veracity or how injured he really is um but be that as it may the information we know right now is that he has some type of knock um he's questionable to go to orlando tomorrow um usually if that my understanding is if they're questionable they don't travel so most mm. likely we don't have lorenzo insigne tomorrow um, uh, I wouldn't say that. Okay, fair enough. I, but generally when they're questionable, my understanding is they don't travel with the team, but possible he does. Um, I guess from, from this perspective, you know, how deflating is it to sort of finally get Lorenzo Insigne kind of going, now not maybe top form, but start to get some fiddle from him and then have this sort of knock him back again potentially? Like how, like you know, you you almost felt it in the crowd once they announced Shaquille Marshall Ruddy coming in in the second half. It was just like, oh, you got to be kidding me again. Yeah, that's that's exactly it, right? Um, mm. I agree with you. I thought at first half he was really good. Uh, TFC's best player, him and Raul Petretta were forming a pretty nice relationship down that left hand side. I I actually thought that they were playing so heavy down the left hand side that they weren't utilizing or getting the best out of Federico Bernardeschi on the right-hand side. And in the second half, and Insigne went off, they were using Bernardeschi more, and he got more into the game, obviously. Um, so I thought that was at least noteworthy. Um, positive, like you said, some positive news from Terry Dunfield. We spoke to him on a media call, conference call this afternoon, and he said the team got a positive update about Lorenzo Insigne. It wasn't as serious as they might have thought it would have been initially Ollie would say it was just a lower body injury in that Insigne wants to play tomorrow and right now he's, he's just going to be listed as questionable so yeah we'll see exactly what his status is but definitely definitely deflating especially because it's Terry Dunfield's debut it's supposed to be the start of like I said like a new era here um and then it's still more of the same and that Obviously, we'll get to the result in, in, in a little bit, mm -hmm. but I feel like Terry Dunfield got a little bit of a taste of what 
Bob Bradley has kind of dealt with throughout this whole mm-hmm. stretch of, you know, players getting in and out of the lineup, key players going down, not having your full lineup. Um, so I thought that was interesting. Um, curious actually just to get your guys' thoughts on mm. uh, Terry going with a four four two with Kosey Thompson as this kind yeah. of secondary striker there. What, what were your guys' thoughts on that? Jeff, do you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, you know, regardless of where he put Kosey, I think the four four two we've been screaming for it. You know, with all of the, you know, when you when when you part ways with a coach as um, pragmatic or as stubborn, I, the, a word escapes me, but somebody so uh, a dead set on the four three three. I think the obvious answer was to try these players out in something a little bit more proven, a little bit less. Uh, uh, advanced level tactics. So, you know, I, I said it uh, in my own answer to our burning question, which is, I, you know, he set him, I think he set them up the way that 90% of us would have had we been given the keys in this first game. Um, you know, he certainly allowed them freedom as evidenced by Ame Mabika, you know, playing second striker and leading the attack for, for at least two or three different phases. Whether the whole team played as free as I would have expected in that sort of new coach bump first Terry match i don't know is it is it a bob bradley hangover is it what mike was insinuating that there are deeper more pervasive issues at this club that you know it doesn't matter who's calling the shots and who's making the subs um conceding a goal late isn't a terry dunfield problem it's a tfc problem you know uh, a lot of people i think a couple weeks ago would have said it was a bob bradley problem but i think now we can say with some assurance that you know, th- this team has a problem. They fall asleep. Uh, uh, you know, when you look at that second goal, uh, you've got half of TFC zonal marking the 18-yard box on the other side of the action. You know, but there is a lot of sleeping on plays and ball watching going on, especially at the last minute. Uh, it all revolves around this team's, you know, perceived inability to play out games and hold on to leads. So, yeah, you know, it was it was it's disappointing because, yeah, you know, the expectation is uh, it's all going to turn around in one game. And, and you know, Kumbaya and Terry is going to lead us into the promised land. But at the end of the day, I was happy. I was happy with the performance. I, but I think, you know, what cost us the points is the same old, same old. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, was not expecting a four four two to be perfectly honest. Really? I thought a four two three one might be where we went. Um and it's not I I kind of saw it at that way initially, um, until mm. obviously I started watching them play and I realized that Kosi was essentially playing as a second striker. Um, which is interesting because Kosi got his debut in the academy with TFC three, I believe, under Terry Dunfield. Um, so he knows mm. the player really well. Um that's a fun fact. Yeah, a lot of these young players that are coming through um, through the academy, actually, Terry Dunfield has sort of had his fingerprints on their sort of footballing DNA through the academy, so he knows a lot of these guys, um, including uh, Lazar uh, Stepanovich, who, congratulations, 16 years old, gets his debut for the senior team in the second half um, and, and looked and looked decent in, in getting sort of thrown right into the fire. But to answer your question, Michael, I, I, I you know, I, I thought if you're going to go with a 4-4-2, I think you use Federico Bernardeschi as that second striker or Lorenzo Insigne as that second striker. We had talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I think, Jeff, you actually mm-hmm. brought it up, um, whether yeah. using them either as a false nine or as a second striker. Um, and I think Chris Fung actually a couple months ago brought it up as well. Yeah, you know what? Yeah. I, I, 
I I'm fine with it. I mean, I want obviously. Let's see how it goes. I, I don't know. I think it kind of at times may leave you defensively stretched. Mm-hmm. Um, as and look as, as evidenced by sort of the back and forth nature at times during this game. No, I think that's partly because it's a new manager putting in sort of a, a bit of a new system and people getting used to slightly new roles. Um, also, it's down to how RSL plays as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, you know, I think, like I said, I, I think there are bigger structural. I think there are not even structural. I think there are bigger issues with just overall talent on the team right now. Hmm. And I think that speaks to a lot of the dysfunction in terms of how this team sometimes plays. And, and look, I think the, the the final goal there, you were mentioning it, Jeff, that yes, there was a little bit of falling asleep, but also it's a bit unlucky. Right, like yeah, you get a deflection that goes off yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Kobe Franklin, who, who, by the way, I thought Kobe Franklin was the star of the game. Um, you know, a deflection off him. Greg Rensing has to make a, a has to make a save. You know, some people said maybe it would have been going wide anyway. As a goalkeeper, you have to you have to make a play on that. You can't just leave. You have chance. to commit one hundred percent. Yeah, and and at that point, you know, it's it's sort of just who reacts first, and it just was RSL reacting first. Mm-hmm. Um, and and mm-hmm. you know, in some ways, yes, you can sort of blame, put your hand up and say that there's blame around there. Um, but. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes just when you're in a rut, bounces don't go your way. Um, sometimes you have to earn I, some of those bounces. And, and look, there's there are plenty of opportunities for TFC to score. I mean, you know, Brendan Serena puts one off the crossbar. Yeah, you know, they had yeah. um, CJ Sapong whistles ones over over the crossbar. You know, they they created chances in that second half, and for the first time, really, they look dangerous in transition um, in the hmm. second half uh on saturday i yeah. you haven't been able to see that say that about tfc in quite a while go ahead mike yeah if i can be like brutally honest i i thought i really felt like the game i was watching another game under bob bradley and maybe mm-hmm. that's a little bit unfair to terry because he's only had four days to kind of implement his system so maybe that's not a surprise but I'd, mm-hmm. I'd, it wasn't until the game opened up midway through the second half and you could, you know, TFC, sure, they took off the reins a little bit, but so did RSL because, quite frankly, both teams felt that three points was yeah, within they're, reach. They're yeah. for the team. Um, you know, RSL also missed a lot of chances, and yes. I, I would say RSL were probably the better team throughout the game. But I, I still, like, for a team that boasts the the two Italians, um, some really solid central midfielders, they don't play a really attractive brand of, of football. And I, mm-hmm. I really felt mm-hmm. like, you know, especially in that first half, it, it looked like it was going to go. I mean, the, it, it was a minute away, I guess, from going to, to go another down, yeah. scoreless nil-nil game. And that's kind of mm-hmm. what I saw play out once again. I, I really do feel like this team is struggling to just, they get themselves in good areas. They find advantages at times, but just that next bit of movement, um, this team is struggling to kind of put that together and, and create really clear-cut kind of opportunities and intentional opportunities and even unintentional opportunities at times. It it does yeah. feel like a lot of their players are isolated a little bit too much too many times, and I don't know what really the, the solution is for for unlocking more. Maybe it's a personnel issue, but yeah, go ahead, Jeff. Well, you know, I said it. I said so much. Like, uh, regardless of how you feel on his tactics, I'm prepared to allow the Bob Bradley hangover. You know, what? like, it, the players were struggling to know where to go under his system. And now, like you're saying, it feels like 
unfortunately, there's a lot left of his system left in the players that they now need to get rid of. So, you know, it's a, it's a Bob, I'm prepared to say a Bob Bradley hangover, but mostly, you know, this idea of um, the bright spot for Lorenzo and Fede, right? Do you guys like cricket? Do you ever watch cricket? Well, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I love about cricket are those five-day test matches, right? Where when you award a winner, you can be pretty sure that the right team won because at this point you've now like every batter's faced every uh, bowler, you know, every fielder's had an opportunity at every spot, you know what I mean? Twice. Exactly. So at the, when, when the match is awarded, you've crossed off almost every variable. And I think the frustration with Berna and Feta is this unwillingness to sort of apply moving them around the pitch as like a test cricket match, right? Like it's obviously not working. So I don't understand the reluctance to, and even if you were to argue that it's working, it, you know, I don't think anybody would say it can't, there's no room for improvement. So why aren't we trying everywhere? You know, Can, did you play left back in high school? Let's try Lorenzo at left back. You know, at the end of the day, it feels like, but it does, it, it, it feels like this disconnect between everybody and their mother knows that there's room for improvement, you know, and the easiest first step would be, Hey, if we're doing a four four two, let's try you both at striker. You know what I mean, or, or at least one of you at striker. So it's madness when that doesn't happen. It's maddening when that doesn't happen. That's fair. Because, like, wh- why should that still be a question we have to ask? We should have answered that question a long, long time ago. I, I was you know? a little bit surprised to see both Insigne and Bernardeschi on the wings once again. I did. I, I was. Mm-hmm. I was a little bit surprised. Um, I thought even maybe throughout the course of the match that at a certain point when things are still kind of at zero zero and you're not really creating too many chances that you'd see, you know, kind of Bernardeschi get pushed through the middle, play as a 10. Like we've seen instances of, and we've seen positive instances of mm-hmm. that happening, but um, obviously, you know, you're still kind of feeling things out as the new manager and their go-to spots are left wing and right wing and, maybe some other changes around them would help them succeed. I think that's that's what you'd want to try out first is my my thought process, I guess, behind it to kind of justify the decision. I actually I didn't I didn't I was surprised that, you know, one of DeAndre or Iowa Canola didn't start as that second striker if you're gonna keep the Italians on the wings. I was surprised mm-hmm. that Kosi got the call there actually ahead of those guys. Um be, just because Obviously, those guys have played those, that that position before in their natural strikers. Whereas Kosi, while yeah, sure, through the academy, he's played that position. We haven't seen him play that position at at this level yet. Um, yeah. And I don't mm. necessarily think it was it was it was a success at you know this trial run or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, really interested to see how how Terry decides to line up tomorrow. Uh, I'm with you, Mike. I do. I give another shout out to Lazar, 16 years mm-hmm. old, came on man like he didn't look too far out of place and i'm no. surprised because that's the toughest position to come in as it's a 16 year old middle of the game center back um yeah <laughs> like I said, positionally he was yeah he was sound he read the game really well obviously there was that one instance where he yeah, kind of gave the ball yeah. away but like overall like i I love the fact that Terry Dunfield is willing to be. I think I think that is Terry Dunfield. That that's the epitome of who he is. I think he's a manager that would try to integrate all these academy kids that he's had a hand in kind of developing here at Toronto, and he's going to try and integrate them into the into the squad. Yeah, go ahead, Jeff. 
Well, I think you answered your own question. That's why Terry started Cozy. And if it had worked, can you imagine the 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 uh, uh, brownie points and, and ego boost they both would have gained? You know, Terry figuring out at least for a game the number nine position by going into his into his member berries and, and putting Kosi up there in the same way that he gave uh, Lazar his start, and, and for the most part it worked. Uh, uh, that's awesome. I, I mean, uh, I, I forgot my second train of thought there, but yeah, to me, no worries. You an- you just answered your own question with respect to to why Kosi started up. There. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say, and, and maybe we'll wrap up with this before we get to Bill Manning's press. Oh, talk. I remembered my second yeah. point. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, it speaks volumes about Io Akinola's state at the club. I think the fact that he didn't see any. I actually thought he looked he looked pretty good when he did come on. I I thought he actually looked. Uh, uh, my my problem still, is yeah. that he can't help, he couldn't hold the ball up. Yeah, I'm I'm moments. done. I'm done. He always looks pretty good. Uh, uh, yeah, is, I'm not I'm, I'm not done you. with him, but <laughs> I, I think there were key times where he needed to hold the ball when the ball was played to him, and he just couldn't hold it up. Um, and it and it let RSL sort of get get on us in the final 10 minutes um he again it, it's it's moments I, again i don't we'll see under terry what that what that looks like maybe he will get a chance on tuesday um against orlando it will be very interesting to see the the thing is that game opened up you know coelho came in um you know he what used all five subs which like, what a baller i love him. yeah i mean he looked really good um again and and look at i think that and again nature of the game so that this is just sort of a single game state because this game was a little wild um and it got mm-hmm. a little wild at a certain point but you know you were talking on the broadcast like tfc used the second fewest subs in all of major league soccer i think only adrian heath at minnesota uses less um Yikes. <laughs> and, and this was the first time we, I think we had gone in and used all five subs um, or maybe only the second time all season we've gone and used all five subs um, and fairly early into the second half too, we, all five subs were used. So from, from that perspective, it'll be interesting to see what sort of the plan and, and sort of what the mandate from Terry really is um, mm. from Bill Manning and, and from management at this point, because I don't know if it's playoffs. Like I, I don't, I really don't know if it's playoffs because if you think about it, this team's what seven points out, and there's like six teams mm-hmm. to climb. Uh, you know, I, I it, mathematically, of course, it's still possible anything could happen. It's Major League Soccer in the second half of the season, especially with the League's Cup coming up. But mm-hmm. it really does feel like this is an insurmountable mountain. Like last year, we were saying, okay, you Can get I, these guys in yeah. at the transfer window, and then you see what happens, and then maybe they make a run, and then they start to make a run, and then it fell apart. I don't feel like that's coming this year. Go ahead, Jeff. Can I be honest? I don't want playoffs. I'm going to be completely honest. This team needs a longer offseason to figure its stuff out. Um, in the way that the surprise 2019 MLS Cup run kind of put the kibosh on fixing the mistakes that we made in 2018 because we got too big for our britches. You know, I maintain this. Like, we should have kept on to the beta shores. We didn't need the agar catches, and we certainly didn't need the Gregory Vanderveels, but we saw the shiny, shiny, and we had just won the treble, and it was a rookie mistake. And and then, you know, 2019 kind of reset that because we went on this miraculous run to MLS Cup, I know how disastrous three years of no playoffs is going to be to this franchise. And as much as I hate being around to witness and report on it, I think this team, one, deserves it, and B, low-key needs it. Um, because, I mean, our last episode, Mike, you you know, you know, were so 
prescient about it when you talked about how Bob Bradley was hired and they paid him a five-year deal and they said, let's do a rebuild. And then they lost their nerve and suddenly were, and I'm not even talking about signing Insigne ahead of bringing him in. I'm talking about suddenly going, oh my God, the pressure is mounting. We need to, we need to do this rebuild now, which is counter to the money they outlaid for a rebuild. You know what I mean? This club isn't very good at doing things quickly. So the more things that we take off the, the docket so that it can focus on what it needs to fix as opposed to false dawn here, false dawn there, this false dawn, you know, do I need another capitulation in Nashville in the first round to kill my buzz? Absolutely not. So at this point, I'm like, I don't actually want the playoffs for this club. And I know that I'm going to get skewered for it. And I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Let's um, let in on that note, then let's move into the Bill Manning press conference. Cause I think mm. that is going to address a lot of what you're talking about, Jeff. And, and sure. sort of, I think that we're getting into that sort of realm anyway. Um, I think, what was it, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday, uh, Bill Manning uh, held a press conference uh, to address, obviously, first Bob Bradley being sacked um, in his role currently uh, at TFC and what sort of the new footballing sort of structure will be um, at Toronto FC and also, of course, announcing Jason Hernandez as the full-time general manager, which I was actually surprised that they went ahead and announced that role right away. Um, congratulations, but, but yeah, exactly. Congratulations to Jason Hernandez. A great guy. I've met him a couple of times. I think you all have, yeah. um, really guy. great guy. And obviously was here for the tail end of the, the treble and then retired and has been with the club ever since, um, both as a club a ambassador, with, which yeah, is well, he was a player play- relations. Well, yeah. Um, what was his, get what was his official a, title? He was a player relations. Yeah. He worked on player yeah, relations yeah, yeah. and then okay. uh, a couple of years ago ended up uh, starting to, to be the assistant GM. Um, then under Ali Curtis, I think, before the end, and then obviously under Bob Bradley, uh, but now takes the full job here. Mike, you were at the press conference. Um, we heard your voice. You were asking questions uh, of Bill Manning. Um, give us your sort of thoughts on the press conference itself, the vibe that was in the room. Some people were asking some very pointed questions of Bill Manning um, and, and he had some John interesting Molinaro. responses, um, but want to get your take. Yeah, I mean... Self-righteous, but I'm pat ourselves on the back because I think, you know, as media, we did a pretty good job at holding Bill kind of accountable and, and asking some really direct, straightforward questions. If it wasn't John, it would have been, you know, you, Gareth or, or me or, you know, everyone was going to get to the those questions. So I'm happy that we, we did end up covering a lot of that ground. Um, yeah, listen, like, it's been the same message over and over and over it feels like out of bill um and i I, listen i i have a lot of time for bill manning um very i think he's very respectable and i think he like i've said on this show in the past he's he is a very good executive but i do i do feel like there are times where he kind of just says cliche terms and cliche phrases as opposed to kind of you know like the especially i think over the last five years toronto fc fans have become a lot smarter in terms of how they understand not just the game but like mls rules in general and i feel like there's been a bit more transparency in that regard um and that they're obviously like tfc fans are 
they're super smart when it comes to just knowing what's up at the club. And I feel like there were times where Bone Manning would beat around the bush despite being asked straightforward questions. So I feel like from that perspective, he could have he could have been a little bit more real, a little bit more authentic, I guess, if that mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, so I thought that there were some instances of that. You know, I, I could feel his passion coming through as well. You know, when he says that, you know, he's never been more motivated. Yeah, you know what? Well, I I believe you. At the mm-hmm. same time, like you, that better be the case. Like, no, duh. I guess based on yeah, what yeah. transpired at the club. Um, for the past little bit. And then obviously the one line I think a lot of people are going to talk about is when he was asked kind of the identity that he wants his football clubs to have, right? And of course, the question was based off the fact that they went from Chris Armis to, we'll start with Greg Vanny, then Chris Armis to a little bit of Javier Perez to, to Bob Bradley and all guys who were really, I guess, different coaching philosophies and coaching styles. So Bill Manning was his, I guess, his famous line that now a lot of people are talking about. He's like, people don't remember how football teams play. They just remember that they win around that, I guess. And I think that's, personally, I think that's not true whatsoever. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, BS. BS. Um, Before you get into your rant, because I can see you ramping up. Yeah. Let me let me just interject because I don't want to do it when you get into your rant because I yeah, know it's going to be delicious ahead, and I can't wait. Um, you hit it, Mike. You it, it, the time of uh, you know too often now we have Bill Manning celebrating Toronto FC fans for being sophisticated. You often hear him say, you know how uh, 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 plugged in, how how much of a football town it is, and then gaslight us for forty five minutes. Like you said, you know we don't care that you want. That you that that you know you you feel passionately about fixing it. That should be the standard, you know. It's it's lip service to to say it out loud, um, you know. And and we've been dancing around the issue. Like I think you guys did a tremendous job uh, in terms of holding feet, Bill's feet to the fire, but you already know it's not good enough for most of the pitchfork mob out there, right? Who want you to get up and throw apples at him or douse him in gasoline and light him on fire? There is a, a disconnect. The club, in some ways, is propagating that because the dichotomy between blowing smoke up our asses and saying that we're smart, we're switched on, we're football aficionados, and then that press conference where you're dancing around the obvious answers is madness-inducing. It really is to the to the fan, to the reporter, to, to anybody in the association. It's without looking for a better expression, it's an insult to our intelligence. And I think that that came through loud and clear. And that's my only real comment about the press conference because it didn't, you know, it, it was a whole lot of nothing. It was, and at the end of the day, that's why the the quotes that, you know, was about to launch Mike into his rant uh, are getting bandied around. You know, the, well, no one cares about a tactic identity is because the real questions didn't get answered, you know? And it, it just lets, it leads more credence to what I said last week, which is, I don't think Bill Manning is the guy that fixes this club. Because when pressed, it's the same old, same old. You need a fresh voice, a new perspective. And the last thing it needs to be is tied to somebody's own ego. Like, I'm doing this to to right my own wrongs. That can be part of the equation, but it can't be the whole thing. So I I found a lot to dislike about that press conference. And and, uh, Mike, please, rant. Cannot wait. No, so look, I 
as a lot of people know, I've been a supporter of this club for a very long time. And I, I have I have never been to a point where I have been close to walking away from it. And I'm very close now. Um, and, and I think there's, I, I think the, the issue for me, the thing that really bugs me about this current TFC team and the, and, and the way that it operates is there is a lot of, there's sort of just a lot of lip service um, being paid. And I, I really don't think there is a connection between the fan base and the club at the moment in terms of, you know, what are you about as a club? What, and I'm not just talking about on the pitch as well. That's part of it, of course. And let me be, I'll get into that and I'll get on to some of the other stuff. Cause this ties back to what we talked about at the beginning of this podcast around protesting and things like that mm-hmm. on the pitch. Uh, you know, you, you, for the last, and this is not a, this season problem. This goes back to the end of 2020, right? When we get bounced, even before we get bounced out of the playoffs by Nashville, when we go to Philadelphia and we lose what six nil um, and just get absolutely like you you saw the beginnings of the crumbling then and this is a team that was trying at that point to battle for the shield okay mm. and of course we were happy at that point we wanted the shield we wanted to try to win another trophy but to me there was there there was a underlying something needs to something's not right something needs to change here and in a lot of ways we have been we have been led poorly from a management perspective like we have been led poorly um you know it goes back to how greg vanny was handled how that whole situation was handled um regardless Mm -hmm. of okay i get it you have a gm you've hired that gm you want that gm to have the the player decisions in terms of how the club gets built i get that you have to come to some kind of accord to work with greg vanny in that case and the fact that you didn't come to an accord on that is a failure it's a failure. There's no doubt about it. Because if, if you find a, some kind of accord with Greg Vanny, he is still manager of Toronto FC to this day. I, I, I can guarantee it. And then, okay, fine. Greg Vanny leaves. You go on a coaching search. You let Ali Curtis hire the manager. You get Chris Armas. And everyone knew. Everyone knew. Like, it wasn't a, oh, fans kind of saw this guy. Like, everyone knew. Anybody who knew anything about MLS, anybody who was talking MLS, anybody who was within MLS, although they very much like Chris Armas, he is a very nice person. And obviously, not being able to play home games in Toronto in front of fans and get to know them hindered him. Everyone knew this was not the right hire. Everyone knew. And you still backed it. You still went ahead with it. And of course, it turned into a disaster, right? Then you go off and, all right, you got to find another manager. Now, I'm not going to, I'm actually not going to blame him that much for Bill, for Bob Bradley, because at that point, he's kind of the only logical choice, right? Like he is a high cachet manager. You know, he obviously has this, has the league cred, right? That's what we were all asking for at the time. But then you bring him in to be the manager and to rebuild and reset the culture. And before he even gets a chance to do that, you go and you sign Lorenzo Insigne and you blow a lot of the the, the financial equity you have from M- the MLSE board on one player. On one player. And all in all due respect to Lorenzo Insigne, he is a fantastic world-class footballer. But in MLS, you, you just can't do that. You cannot do that in the modern-day MLS 
You just can't, right? And 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 what you end up doing is you bring him in, you bring Lorenzo, you know, you bring in, sorry, excuse me, Federico Bernardeschi in, mm-hmm. and you build this plan around two players, and then you kind of give him skin and bones for the rest of it. I get it. The board maybe pulled some money. I understand that. But essentially, you sort of gave him sort of uh, you, it's like giving somebody uh, a stone and saying, I'm going to give you the flint to light the fire, but it will be mm-hmm. down the road. Well, I'm going to yep. fucking I'm going to like I'm going to get cold and I'm going to die before you give me the flint. Like, that's ridiculous. Right. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. And, and to me, it's it's a it is a lack of understanding that a long term real plan needs to be built around this club to determine how do we recruit players? What are mm-hmm. the type of players that are Toronto FC players? We don't know. We don't have no clue other than, okay, they're a big name from Europe. That's not good enough. It's not good enough. I'm sorry. It isn't. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look around MLS, if you look around this league, forget the rest of the world right now because you play in MLS, okay? The, I don't care what's happening in the Premier League. I don't have. I don't care what's Such happening in City. Uh, I don't care what's happening. Like, think about MLS. What is happening right now? The teams that are coming in and kicking your ass every week. Because this team is a soft push right now. This mm-hmm. team is soft. It loses games. It's soft. It loses a goal, and you see the shoulder slump. It's soft, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got and you've got two DPS that are supposed to come in and raise the level, raise the level of everyone else, and they have failed to do that. Okay, and maybe now, the softest. Well, look, I mean, look, in the end of the day, you know, body language says a lot. Okay, I get it. That's part of their game. It's a part of how, you know, uh, players from that part of the world express themselves on the pitch. I'm, I don't have a problem with that, except for the fact that here in this culture, in this footballing culture, okay, it looks shitty. And it, and it, <laughs> and it, and it does. It, it, it rubs people off the wrong way. And mm-hmm. whether that's fair or not, I, I get people will argue that may not be fair, things like that. It is what it is, mm-hmm. right? And, and from that perspective, I don't think that Toronto FC has thought about this from a footballing perspective. It's thought about it from a marketing perspective. It's thought about it from a how do we make an impact in the market? And I get that. DPs need to do that or else why are you spending the money? But at the same time, there was no cohesive plan on how to build this squad outside of let's sign these guys who won the Euros and let's see what happens. And that mm-hmm. is not good enough from a footballing perspective. It just simply isn't. So that's mm-hmm. the on-pitch issues that I really have with this club. And I think Bill Manning is the culprit behind this. Yep. Here's the second thing. The second part of this is this club's relationship with his fans right now, and it's most hardcore fans, is maybe... Aside from obviously people who work day to day with the supporters, I think they're great. But I think from a from a higher level perspective, I think there is a lot of you know, we'll stroke your ego, we'll we'll say some nice things, but in the end of the day, you know, we'll we'll say, hey, safe same standing's coming, then safe standing's not coming, then it's you know, mm-hmm. we're we're gonna make a plan, but then the plan doesn't come. Right now, you're 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 asking supporter groups to make plans around what does what does safe standing look like, and then all of a sudden it's you know, it's like ah, we'll put it off again. Right. Like these sort of things that keep coming up um, for for the Mm -hmm. betterment of the fan experience, like even around the stadium. Sometimes I leave the South and I go walk around the stadium just to see what 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 is the vibe? Other parts of the same like people come casually um, and sometimes I hate that word casual, but I'm going to use it in this mm-hmm. particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we forgive you. Absolutely. Yeah. But like you, you go around the stadium and like like some of the facilities and some of the things that are being done are just not good. They're just not mm-hmm. good enough. Right. And, and that is some and that's what I'm talking about when, you, when you're talking about. Do you really value your fans in that way? 
And it, it really bugs me that you're asking fans to pay more because, look, you signed two really big players. I get that. You're going to mm-hmm. try to recoup some money back. That's fine. Obviously, the pandemic put a hit into the business. That's another thing. You didn't have games for almost a, over a year. I get that, too. But then compound that with the fact that you've put a bad team on the field. You've made bad decisions from a footballing perspective. And then on top of that, some things in the stadium are just substandard from that. That is a that's how you lose people in the marketplace. That's how you, you, you know, people may come and they'll show up obviously for a good time, but man, it just, it just drags on people. It drags on people who like should unconditionally love this club, but sometimes it's fucking hard. Like I'm sorry to swear, <laughs> but it, it is really no fucking hard to love this club sometimes mm. because of the decisions that are made. And I, I do hold that at the president's feet. And, and and that may not be fair. And I and I get that. And I've met Bill before and we've chatted. He, like, like you said, Mike, he is a lovely, he's a lovely person and a very mm-hmm. good executive. I'm not saying that he isn't a good executive, but there have been bad decisions made at that level. And you can only lay that at the president's feet. Now, of course, other people are making decisions. We'll see how Jason Hernandez now does as a general manager. Okay. He mm-hmm. We'll see what kind of what he's going to be able to do. I don't know. I don't know what he's got to work with, frankly. Like, I I don't know how that's going to go. But I think right now there is a general sort of. Like you said, Jeff, something has to change. And I know that I yeah. know the DPs brought that up from a managing mm-hmm. management perspective, from from a coaching perspective. But I'm talking beyond that. I am talking yeah. Yeah. beyond that. Something needs to change. And and right now, uh, again, I'm not even talking about winning, winning on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Winning on the pitch sometimes is out of your control in some ways. I'm talking about an overall culture reset, rethink strategy on what Toronto FC is. What are we about? And, and what is that vision? Because I've talked to a lot of different people from a lot of different teams in the league, and they're clear on mm-hmm. what that is. And I have no idea what it is here right now. Mm. And around. You want to go first, Mikey Singh? I'll just say, yeah, it is really is unbelievable just how far this club has fallen. Um, and when you look back at like the past couple of years since 2019, let's call it, because mm-hmm. you know we, we'll give them credit; they made the playoffs. They went on that pretty special run, magical uh, yeah. to the final. Um, they followed that up with. Well, Mike, you're probably right. There were some cracks there. They still had Pozuelo with having an MVP season. They still were literally a game away from winning the Supporter Shield um, that they bottled down down the end, towards the end of it. But from that point on, it's there's been a lot of a lot of poor decisions that have been made from a roster perspective, from a uh, sporting perspective. And one of the things, obviously, that Bill Manning started off his press conference saying that he's going to restructure the entire sporting department. Well, yeah, guess what? That's because you you have to because you fired the guy that you hired to restructure the department in general. Um, mm-hmm. Like that week, great. They have a GM in place, and I have a lot of time for Jason Hernandez. They're behind. If you peel the curtain back and something that, you know, a lot of people don't get to see it, there's not much else there because that department is so gutted. 
and a lot of people left. A lot of people left after the pandemic. Like a lot of people the are brain... still going to leave. Yeah, well, way. you think we about it. Heard... The brain drain. Sorry, Mike, just to really quickly part of this, mm. this rant. It speaks to the culture of the club. That brain drain that left after really after Tim Bezbachenko left. And a lot of those yep. guys went followed him to Columbus, right? And you okay, to, in, to interject here, mm-hmm. they were it's not like they weren't uh 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 romanced away by more responsibility and more money, right? A successful team often gets gutted. We just won the treble. Bez left. They're, all other MLS teams are that are going to drive trucks of money to his support staff for sure. and attempt to woo them away, right? So that, for sure, just, and just I, me, it, yeah, yeah, for sure. But I think you know, in a, in a lot of ways, it you know, you a lot of those people left after after Tim left. You're talking about the Corey Rays. You're talking about some other mm-hmm. people that are sort of behind the scenes that aren't as well known. But that speaks to the de- deterioration of that culture and the inability to rebuild it again. Sorry, Mike. I, I, that, that sort of no, I, I, I think I think you're spot on. I think you're spot on. And uh, I'll, what I'll say again, I'm not sure if you caught it or not, but I don't think this is the end of the departures that you'll you'll be hearing from the club. Um, so, yeah, you want to use the word culture issue it's a bit of a buzzword but there is definitely a culture issue i think at toronto sc from everything that i've heard and obviously that gets set from the top down um so that just adds to your point there mike about kind of what's gone wrong at toronto fc over these past couple years so listen we there's there's a window now in front of in front of the club and we've heard a lot of the same messages that we've heard a year ago and same messages we've heard two years ago. We'll see who wants to be here and whoever doesn't want to be here will move on from them along those lines. We've heard that line so many times. When is it going to get to the point where, you know, there's an environment now where people want to be in? Because Toronto FC was that place for a very long time in Major Mm -hmm. League Soccer. They built that up. But I think it's actually gotten to the point where we can definitively say, I think all of that goodwill now is gone. It's, it's gone. gone. It's it's flipped completely. You look at the athletic article where random players are saying it's the worst environment oh. I've ever been in. Who we, knows yeah, if that's sour grapes game. or yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's still there. It's still there out in the ether, right? And, yeah, I think know, it's out in the ether. I think where there's you, smoke, there's fire. Yeah, and I think the the thing that the club needs to safeguard against is becoming what the club was when, say, Justin Morrow joined in 2013 in late. Oh, we're there under a trade where it's like. Holy crap, I'm being traded to Toronto. My career might be over. Right? Like that's what Toronto FC was at that time. Was basically I come to this club and my career might be in jeopardy because of how mm-hmm. badly this club was run. And I think yep. my my concern and my frankly a little panic comes from the fact that we've been there before. I know what that looks like. In in sort of cracks of that are are coming back. You can see it. It's there. And it, oh, yeah. it, you know, it, we're not it's completely in our there yet. You know, yeah. I'm not completely there yet, but you know, if you don't start nipping this in the bud now, you become that very quickly, and you start to become a perennial loser in this league. And mm-hmm. I'm not talking about just wins and losses. I'm talking about the way that you were perceived in the league and in football. 
Um, and that goes beyond just on the pitch, right? It goes from trying to hire executives to go to, to, to do the best work that they can, both from a business side and a footballing side, right? Like that is, that's how TFC was able to do that. Now that was some of the charisma magic mischief of Tim Laiwiki that got us to that point, obviously, mm-hmm. A little bit of luck of finding Tim Bezbachenko and, and sort of gambling on Greg Vanny when Greg was like, look, when Greg Vanny was hired as manager, no one wanted Greg Vanny as manager. Right? Zero like, percent. I remember Zero. that. Right. Mm-hmm. So from that perspective, I get some of that is going to be luck. But at the same time, you know, there at that time, there was a structure being built. There was a philosophy on what this club was going to be. It got accelerated by the fact you get a Sebastian Javinko and Josie Altidore. Right, like that can accelerate mm-hmm. things for sure. And it wasn't was enough. Starting... We needed a Victor Vasquez. No, but you even before then you needed to go and get yeah. a Drew Moore, and you need to get a Stephen Betashore, and you needed to 100%. get a Will Johnson at the time. Right, like you needed to get those kind of players. I'm not saying that you need to go back and build it the same way now, because I think that's part of the problem with this year's build. Yeah, MLS is, is, is a totally different animal. That yeah. build and saying let's just mm-hmm. re- replicate that. And the fact yeah. is, the league has so moved on from that, where you have to take that DP money and. Again, it doesn't count against the cap. I understand it to a certain extent, but you need to take that overall budget spend that Bob Bradley was talking about a lot, right? That had been stretched thin by mm-hmm. using that on higher end talent and being front loaded and di- and diversify that a little bit amongst your 23 or your 20, your senior 20. Uh, because right now the team is too top loaded. It's been top loaded for a long time. Like this isn't a new phenomenon either, right? This club has been traditionally top loaded. And I don't know if you can continue to operate like that in MLS. And and I think mm-hmm. that you you get exposed by teams who don't quite work that way, but find a way to be overall better. And you know who's actually starting to do that pretty well? RSL, the team we just played mm-hmm. this weekend, um, are starting to build a team that, okay, you don't have a standout, you know, a, again, a Sebastian Javinko, a, a, a Miguel Almaro-type player. Yeah, exactly. Miguel but yeah, you're, yeah. you're relatively MLS solid throughout your, throughout, let's say, your, your first 15 um, yeah. players. TFC is not that right now. It is nowhere close to that. And I don't know how it gets close to that right now because there's so many potential cap issues right now. I don't know how you get there, um, you know, other than to like you said, Michael, last week, and, and, you know, I disagreed with you at the time, but giving it some more thought over the week, I might agree with you. Maybe it, it, maybe you do need to tear this down to the studs and start again, um, which is going to be hard for TFC fans to hear. But that might be the way this team needs to go to really rebuild this identity. Sorry, Jeff, go ahead. I mean, we're dancing around the obvious answer, and that is Bill Manning's time at TFC is over in every possible respect. We don't believe well, him anymore. It's when not, he says... Right? When I know, I know, but but this is my take on your rant and my own feelings. Um, we don't believe him anymore. He, when he says the sky is blue, we're looking to check if it's orange, and that's very, very, very dangerous, you know? Um, what you're complaining about on the fan perspective isn't unique to TFC. The problem is, is that the fans are exhausted. Bradley wasn't enough. We're, th- we can call this club Band-Aid Football Club. The problem is, is that the, the issues cannot be fixed with a Band-Aid, especially if the person giving out the Band-Aids and deciding what gets, what deserves a Band-Aid is the guy responsible for a lot of these things at first. There's my rant. I'm now going to counter that. I don't think we're being fair enough to COVID. 
when we talk about this. And I realize that we're all exhausted. And I realize that COVID is over. And I also realize that when I say, you know, uh, when I play victim with TBC, TFC and our struggles over COVID, that anybody can step up and say every other team in MLS suffered through COVID. And they're right. I would counter by saying the Canadian club suffered more. But then you just get into a cyclical argument. But however, that being said, I do think, you know, to say that um, and then Manning goes and, 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 and Ali Curtis hires Chris Armas and we all knew it was wrong, does eliminate a fact that there were exacerbating circumstances and that exacerbating circumstances is COVID. We were, you know, it wasn't the most plumb job to offer to somebody to replace our winningest coach ever where we're not entirely sure where we're playing our home games. And so, you know, at the end of the day, uh, the decision was made and certainly you got to hold their feet over the fire for decisions that were made. So while I am allowing for the margin of COVID, I'm not at all kneecapping your argument. I just think it's important to allow for that margin when we're discussing, because you both flagged 2020 as when it started to go downhill. And of course, 2020 is, is an important year because the whole world went off the rails, right? I still stand by my, by my point. I think it went off the rails in 2020. I think, you know, switching the beta shores for the Gregory Vanderveels was the first in a long line of mistakes. Uh, and then I think, you know, 2019, we were all so happy about that MLS Cup run, but we rolled it back like the Leafs are trying to do without a succession plan for a long, long, long time, way too long. And, and, you know, now we're seeing the result of that, but um, I'll close with this. You know, it's funny to me that the two biggest failures, recent failures uh, in TFC land are Ali Curtis, who came with that big binder, you know, that turned out to be false and, and, and chicken scratch in it. And Bill Manning's so-called five-year plan that he touted, with the acquisition of Lorenzo Insigne. You know, how is that a five-year plan? You bet the house on this guy. And either it was going to work spectacularly or it was going to, unfortunately, fail spectacularly. So, you know, I'm, I five-year plan sounds great and it's a wonderful turn of phrase, but how the hell do you sell anybody on a five-year plan when so much of it, 90% of it is tied up into the presumed success or failure of step one of the plan? You're not even getting to step three profit, right? Like a, the term five-year plan boggles the mind. So again, circle back to the fact that for better or worse, fair or unfair, Bill Manning is not the guy that's going to fix this club. And I realize what Mike's saying, and I understand the reality of it, but we are grinding metal until that happens because the guy that's going to repair this damage is not going to do it with band-aids. It requires fresh thinking, an entirely new perspective, and I just don't think the powers that be are capable of it, for whatever reasons, fair or not. And that's just the reality of the situation. We're dancing around the maypole here. I think Bill Manning is capable, but he's gotten too many chances to to get it right. Um, and that's also a lot fair. of people, a a lot more of people don't get that many mm-hmm. that many chances. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about you know what's next. And obviously, Jason Hernandez is the guy that's being named assistant ge- or general manager. He was assistant general manager, so he got the promotion. Not surprised that, about that whatsoever. I think we, we touched on it last week that he was going to be the guy that's going to be controlling TFC, for lack of a better word, uh, throughout this transfer window. So a uh, well earned promotion for Jason Hernandez. Um, yeah, Mike, you already touched on it. Very well-liked guy, very smart guy as well. A guy who's kind of put in the work and learned from a lot of 
you know, guys who have had success in this league. So yeah, yeah. I'm excited, I'm to excited see, about it. What his vision is for this club and how different it is maybe from his predecessor in, in Bob Bradley and kind of, you know, this window is going to be really interesting. I think one of the things that we can kind of, I guess, touch on a little bit is Richie Larea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the update that we got over the weekend was that TFC and Jason Hernandez and, and Bill Manning still in contact with Richie Larea, still in negotiations with Richie Larea, even though his loan deal has expired and he's returned to Nottingham Forest. He's obviously with Canada at the Gold Cup, um, but they're still hoping to land Richie Larea. Now, this is what I've been hearing. I've been hearing that in order to, to get Richie Larea, it would be a permanent transfer because that's what Nottingham Forest would like. Obviously, there would be a, a small transfer fee that would come with that. Obviously, Nottingham would like to recoup the one million that they paid that mm-hmm. they paid to or to to TFC for Larea uh, a year and a half ago. But with the idea of a permanent transfer, it means that you also have to ne- renegotiate personal terms with Richie Larea. And for anybody who's watched TFC, and even as Jason Hernandez has said, Richie Larea has been TFC's best player this season. Yep. So when mm-hmm. he looks across and he sees Jonathan Azorio making 1.4, he sees Insigne making whatever it is that he's making, yeah, Bernadeschi yeah, yeah. making whatever it is that he's making, Richie Larea is thinking to himself, you know, I've not only been this team's best player, but also maybe the best right back in Major League Soccer this season. I'm 28 years old. I'm in my prime. You know, get there might not bag. be a better, better chance for me to to get money here. Um, so he's mm-hmm. going to want better, better personal terms. Now, you have to also factor in that if TFC do end up paying a transfer fee for Richie Larea's services, that gets tacked onto his his cap yep. hit, right? So if they pay a million, they sign him to a four year contract. That's an extra two hundred and fifty thousand additional to his contract right now Richie Larea is making just shy of 1.3 million a dp threshold is 1.6 million so oh, even yeah. if Richie Larea was going to get let's say a, a two hundred thousand dollar rate or pay increase you give him that plus you pay nottingham forest a million dollars it's a four-year deal hypothetically or a five-year deal you're looking at essentially dp territory uh for Richie Larea. And that's what TFC is battling with. So I actually think the reason why this deal is going to break down is not because Richie Larea wasn't willing to come back to Toronto, but I think it's rather because I think TFC just can't really afford to pay Richie Larea that amount unless they want to make him a designated player. And, and you make Richie Larea a designated player, right? Like that becomes the whole that, question of, another you know, should you make him a designated player? You know, Jonathan Sawyer is a designated player right now, and people are up in arms about that. You know, yep. whether it was communicated to fans properly or not, that's a whole other debate. Hey, if you listen to this pod, you'll know. Yeah, well, I mean, we've yeah, been saying it since the beginning. He's been a DP since almost the beginning. But, you know, in the end of the day, yeah, that's a tough one for TFC. Um, and and look, I, I don't think you can right now make him a DP. You're clearly I think DP, unless I think Saudi, we've outgrown the DP label. Well, I think look, unless a Saudi team comes and bails you out with one of the two Italians, essentially you're that's aft. kind you're of aft. it. Yeah, you're aft. 100%. So then, the, the next part of this is that should Richie Larea decide to walk, 
then it does open up some cap space for TFC this summer. And I know that TFC have been also, that they've been weighing their options. And obviously that one big option is going to be a prominent number nine. TFC want to bring in a number nine. They trust that Kobe Franklin there right back. Plus you also have Jaquil Marcioretti that can cover that position as well. You have Raul Petretta, obviously at left back. Behind them, you got Christian Gutierrez, Demi Antonoglu. So you have a bit of depth there. You know, maybe the right back isn't what you need to be spending. You you already have the highest paid left back in Major League Soccer. Maybe you don't need the highest paid right back as well in Major League Soccer. It's yep. just this what they have to think about, right? And mm-hmm. instead, invest those resources elsewhere into making maybe TFC a better goal scoring team which is yeah you know richler is great going forward he creates a lot of actions but you could probably get someone that that creates a little bit more tangible production uh out of the number nine position so something to keep an eye on crisis yeah i think if tfc do end up walking away from richie larea richie ends up walking away from tfc which again i think that's the route it's going to take barring richie larea coming around and and reducing maybe his ask and just to clarify i'm not saying yeah. I'm not saying Richie's asking for DP money, but you add in his cap hit, you're get your it's it's DP money. He's at um, the threshold because MLS yeah. is MLS. Exactly. So instead of that, I think TFC. If if Richie does walk, I think TFC brings in a striker this window. Do you think okay. Richie goes to another MLS club, or do you think he goes back to Europe? No, I think he he'll go back to Europe. Yeah, thank God. Because loan deal it would suck to play sold. against him based upon our mismanagement of resources, you know, yeah. and MLS being MLS. That would really well, stay. Transfer window opens up when? Wednesday, I think. The summer window opens Wednesday. Uh, nice. On the 5th. So uh, Mike Singh uh, will have all the deets uh, for you throughout the next couple of weeks as we go into the summer window. Uh, probably will not be as juicy as last summer window, um, but because uh, <laughs> that seems Definitely to be like not. every other day there was something going on. Um, mm-hmm. But we will see uh, Jason Hernandez um, walking right into it. Uh, with a summer window let's get on a bit more of a positive vibe guys i, I know it's been yeah. down for the last sort of half an hour um let's get into <laughs> the burning question and let's give away some nice stuff um so let's that's baby's first giveaway The burning question presented by Nextdoor, the neighborhood network, and the official community app of Toronto FC. Nearly one in five GTA households use Nextdoor to connect with their neighbors, local businesses, and groups nearby, like Nextdoor's Toronto FC fan group, where you can find our burning question posted each week. To join, download the Nextdoor app or go to nextdoor.ca. Now, uh, before we reread this week's question, we got a little wrap-up to do from last week's uh, burning question. We've got our contest where we are going to be giving away uh, 2023 Federico Bernadeschi home kit thanks to our friends at Nextdoor Canada. Thank you to all of you who followed, liked, retweeted, uh, and joined the Toronto FC fan group on Nextdoor to get an extra ballot i uh, really appreciate it and we got a lot of ballots um so really excited about that uh, but without further ado we're going to pick the winner so i think we got some uh, nice put up so let's uh pick a winner let's go Okay, Frank. Uh, let's go, Frank. Frank. Go, Frank. Frank. 
Frank Lekirk, I think he's actually um, commented in some of our stuff in the Nextdoor Facebook or sorry, the awesome. Nextdoor um, awesome. group, TFC group. So Frank, thanks so Twitter. much uh, yeah. for, for entering a ballot. I think he's both on Twitter and on our uh, TFC fan group on Nextdoor. Uh, so we'll be reaching out to you uh, shortly about getting that jersey out to you. So congratulations and stay tuned over the next couple of weeks we more. as we've got uh, we've got some more we've got some more contests uh to sort of do uh through all our channels so stay tuned for that now getting congratulations this frank. week's yeah absolutely congratulations mm-hmm. frank um this week's burning question how would you rate terry dunfield's first match as toronto fc manager i guess interim manager um would be the correct term a couple of answers here guys and then uh, we kind of got onto it on the, at the start of the show but maybe we'll get into it a little mm-hmm. bit deeper quickly here um matt on our uh next door group just says uh fede is rocking some uh fede is rocking some serious uh jimenez vibes i'm assuming uh he's Jesus. being uh yeah, as a mezus uh jimenez vibes uh and with insignia i'm out i'm not sure what more terry can do one match isn't enough to really evaluate interested to see how he does after four matches um and todd also in the tfc fan group on next door um says the construction of this roster is so bad it's laughable no one spends that much money on a dp winger let alone two manning and bradley have failed miserably of the current roster. The only players that are guaranteed guaranteed a spot are Johnson and Hedges and probably Richie Larea, but of course he's not the team right now. Uh, Dunfield mm-hmm. is in a no-win situation. He's losing our best player in Larea. Injuries are ridiculous and talented, uh, talented depth is non-existent. I really don't expect much and there was a lot of some of that um sentiment tell us out how you there. really feel todd <laughs> yeah exactly uh on twitter luca just says uh made good substitutions and the team played a more attacking with more attacking intent just need to finish our chances i think he meant more attacking intent in the second half get it a seven mm-hmm. out of ten mm-hmm. and turts mcgirt's old friend of the show uh, i liked how we looked going forward especially in the second half more chances than I remember us doing making all year. Uh, we didn't look as solid defensively, but I will say it was a good debut and the first game that was exciting to attend in a long time. Um, guys, look, I, I think it is, of course, impossible really to sort of rate Terry in one game. Uh, Mike, you said it was you felt it was a little bit more of the same. I thought the substitutions. I like the substitutions one because there were actually substitutions and Bob Bradley didn't was allergic to substitutions, but I, I like the fact that look, he went in there and he kind of went for the game, um, which is okay. And he really went to that bench and he, and he sort of trusted in those guys to do it. And look, if whether you agree, if the town is good enough, you got to, you got to see what you've got um, really see what you've got and put yeah. those players in those positions in games like this, not when you're down four nil and the game's kind of over, but in a nil-nil where you might have a home win there. And I thought it brought some life to the game, um, you know, despite kind of how RSL was playing. But love to get your thoughts. Yeah, Jeff, I agree. I mean, yeah. to, to me, Bob – oh, sorry, did I just jump? Yeah, no, no, no go I ahead, doing, I was doing so good this whole episode, and then I muff it up in the last, the last 15 minutes. Uh, no, Mike, you talk. I, I want to keep my, my record going. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I said what I said, like, I, I, it's tough for a guy who had four days to really come in and implement a complete new philosophy and new coaching style and, and new style of play. Um, football is also football where you're always going to see a lot of the same patterns, regardless of who's on the touchline. Mm. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, it was it was a solid debut from Terry. Like RSL is a good team. Um, I thought, especially in that first half, I thought Lorenzo Insigne and Raul Petretta had really started to form a, a really solid relationship down that left hand side. And in the second half, he made some adjustments. Um, the game opened up a little bit. Yeah, uh, both teams were going for it, and. Yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 tough because I I still feel like a lot of it was a lot of it was the same, but I don't really expect much different after just four days. Yeah, yeah, I gotta echo what my esteemed co-hosts are saying. It's it's an impossible situation. Um, you know, I think he tried to do right by the DPS by letting them play in their preferred position. I think he did right by the by the fan base by going four four two. Um, I think, you know, I was happy. I was happy. Uh, You know, I'm excited to see what Terry does. Uh, He certainly knows the kids better than anybody. uh, The guys that we're that we're now depending on as our depth. So it'll be it's it's going to be fun to see what he can coax out of them. Yeah, look, I think a lot of people are rooting for Terry Dunfield. Um, you know, whether this works or not, I, I think there's a lot. I think a lot of people have a lot of time for him. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think that's a great yeah. thing. And, let, and let's see, right? Because I, I thought that it was it was bold to go with a 4-4-2. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think you necessarily start Kosi in that, that sort of secondary withdrawn striker role. I think you could do that with Frederico or Lorenzo. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see how that goes tomorrow. Um, but I lo- I loved him being bold. I love him putting Lazar Stefanovic in. I, I love yeah, the idea. Yeah. You know. Um. And and look. I yes. Okay. The goal gets conceded at the end. But I thought he played well. Uh, you know. I, I you know. I think you you with his extensive knowledge of the youth system and the players that have come through, I think he can instill some confidence in them in terms of going in there at a senior level and saying, yeah. you can play here. I know you can play here. I've trusted you in these positions before. Um, and, and I think that can go a long way. So, you know, again, I, I think it was uh, I think it was an okay first game. Um, yeah. We'll see how things get. It gets considerably tougher with Orlando um, tomorrow yeah. uh, in Orlando on, on the 4th of July, um, a place that Toronto FC traditionally have not done so great at. Um, what is but, our record at Exploria? I know it's not as bad as say Houston no, or no. We've Gillette, won a couple of times, but that, yeah, yeah, again, yeah. when we've won down there, we beat Club Leon. I mean, we'll always have that yeah. that Club Leon uh, defeat at Exploria Stadium, <laughs> yeah. right? Two, so, yeah. Two things I really want to see. Um, mm. One, we got to see Alonzo Coelho start. Mm. That kid is so good yeah. and so talented, um, and you saw it right away. This he's a legitimate difference maker when he's yeah. on the pitch no one on tfc has the skill set that he has aside from maybe a victor vasquez but obviously we haven't really seen much of victor vasquez this season so i need to see alonzo coyo start because i think he he's listen he's good enough he could be tfc's best midfielder quite frankly um mm-hmm. maybe alongside jonathan osorio as well and then the yeah. second thing i i'd love to we we need to get bernadeski in a more advanced role and and in better positions on on the pitch whether that's down the right flank, whether that's through the middle, you need to get him the ball, I think, higher up the pitch for him to yeah. kind of make some some things happen. And obviously there's going to be advantages at times. You want to get him in those positions where there are overloads and, and take advantage of all of those. But I think 
it starts with just the fundamental of finding ways to start him higher up the pitch. If that means maybe oh, yeah. starting DeAndre Kerr down the right-hand side or Jaquil Mercer-Ruddy down the right-hand side and pushing Bernadeski up to that secondary striker role, then I think that's that's just the way that, – that's what needs to be done. But those two things I, I think I really, I really need to see. Yeah. Yeah, I agree yeah. with the secondary striker role. I think that's, you know, that's that might be the way you go. Um, but we will see uh, tomorrow night um, in Orlando. Uh, let's wrap up the show there, gentlemen. Thank you for listening to before, another episode. Sorry, oh, sorry, go ahead, Mike. Mike yeah. Before we do, just one thing on TFC's next coach. Um, oh, sorry, go ahead. So, Ooh, scoops. So I think it's out there already, but just to reiterate for anyone listening, one of the questions that I was asking Bill Manning at the press conference is about TFC's budget. And I was asking why they don't have a third DP and he kind of beat around the bush. He's just like, that's just what we budgeted for. Um, And then I asked him how much of a budget, I guess, or does TFC have the budget to go after like a high profile coach? And again, you can listen to the response. It's not really much of a response. So I think it's it's become quite clear that now that TFC is also paying Bob Bradley's salary and the fact that they don't really have money to go out and, and get a, a real DP, TFC are also don't have money to go out and get a, a high-profile coach. So anybody hoping mm-hmm. for an established big name, you're going to be let down. They're going to try and find and uncover the next hidden gem. And yeah. the reason being is worked before. it's cheap. Yeah, well, but it also worked. Sure, you can point to that always, but when you have Insidia mm-hmm. Bernadeschi, I don't think your first choice is ever going to be get a really inexperienced. Oh no, it's manager. a it's a disaster waiting to happen. I mean, we can we'll all see, see, we'll it, see like, what right happens, ahead on like, the horizon. Yeah, yeah. Maybe if they they could, like you said, work before they can hopefully you know works for other clubs. They can hopefully hit on something, but you have to understand that the next manager is also going to need to to get the respect of those two Italian players. Yeah. Cause obviously they're guys who are, have a lot of sway and a lot of pull with them. Does Berna's dad so. have his, have his coaching badges because <laughs> he could come in for, for cheap. And I think that that may be the answer. We should hire Bernadeschi's dad. To <laughs> uh, be the next uh, I'll dad. say this. Mm. And I know there's going to be some people out where I live that uh, are going to hate me saying this. No, you're not pulling uh, the Bobby ass. Are you? Well, I'm just saying yeah. there is a guy mm. that uh, coaches uh, over here. Um, just uh, out my window here. Um, mm-hmm. If you're looking for somebody who can build a culture, that's a guy who can build a culture. Now, here's the thing: I don't he think he never leave it. Forge for this place. Yeah, I don't. Like, why would he ever do that? Po- um, it's a poison chalice, which ruin his whole reputation. Like, yeah. as the guy that that brought Sigma into the pros with this Franken squad of of misfit toys, I I wouldn't want it either. If I had yeah. that much, my my whole credibility coasting on this move. Nah, we'll see. Maybe it ends nah. up being Terry. Maybe, maybe it ends up being. I Terry. hope it does. I hope it does. That would be that would be such a great story. You know, why yeah. can't it be Terry? Yeah, we'll see over the next Terry. three games. Absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. All right. Uh, thank TikTok. you for listening to another episode of Toronto Till I Die. We'll be back next week, uh, recapping TFC's Fourth of July clash with Orlando and their first ever match against top of the West expansion side, St. Louis City. Uh, thank you. Uh, I knew you were going to do that. Like, you got to yell it out now because mm-hmm. it's all in St. Louis City. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, remember mm-hmm. to check out the new Toronto Till I Die YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at TTID podcast. Uh, hit the bell for notifications, and this will ensure that you're not missing any of the new episodes of the show. For Michael Singh and for Jeffrey P. Nesker, I'm Mike Newell. 
Cheers, all. See you next week. And wait, and wait, and baby, I'm TMC till I die.